Welcome to another episode of Beardies Assemble. We are three nerds with beards who like to combine our love for geek and nerd culture whilst uncovering the business lessons along the way. I'm Samir, and with us is Captain Automation, the Trello Diva, and if Captain Redbeard had a hipster son, it would be none other than Rory Knighton. Sup? And on the other side, we got the corporate punk, tech evangelist, and sales maestro, the one and only Norse god of Panda, Mr. John Thor. Hey everyone, welcome to the episode. Happy to be here. Welcome guys, thank you so much for joining us again on this lovely episode. E3 edition, so we've, we've pulled out the stops to try and get this uh, podcast to you guys straight away. Um, with E3 just finished, there's lots of thoughts and things happening. So, um, let's just go. Highlights, goods, bads. What do you guys think? Rory. Um, so I, I thought it was, it was a very odd E3. It was, it was a subdued E3 because uh, Sony was gone. They, they weren't around. Uh, Nintendo was in a weird place, the sort of mid-cycle. And so Microsoft mostly had the show to itself. Um, they didn't really have any sort of main competition during it. Um, and they went for it. And they, they, they completely transformed and, and, and course corrected from where they've been previously. And uh, they showed some really interesting stuff. A highlight for me was seeing Keanu Reeves. Like, he just came out of nowhere. Keanu Reeves. I mean, the dude is like some sort of immortal angel. You know, he's 53 years old or something like that. He still looks like he's in his sort of late 30s, 40s. Or got to dye his hair. Surely dyes his hair, at least. He looks great. Uh, he came out, he read a slightly awkward teleprompt, um, but, but engaged with the crowd a little bit um, and talked a little bit about cyberpunk, um, which, is, which is a cool game, cool concept. Um, so that was, that was a big highlight for me. Um, I would say a low light is we've seen a lot less from all uh, publishers and, and developers. We've not seen gameplay. It's been very much a focus on trailers and cinematics, and there's been a move away from seeing real cool core gameplay, you know, 30 minutes of gameplay, because that's what you're buying. Um, but it's been much more of a leaning on, on cool cinematic setups. So that was, that was slightly disappointing. But overall, I thought the event was interesting and a very different E3 to, to previous E3s. Brilliant. John? Yeah, so I, I don't want to jump on the Keanu bandwagon just yet because I do love him, but I think my highlight personally, um, partially due to that gameplay being a little bit missing, was actually the ID at Xbox trailer that they showed. And I just wish they would have expanded on it because when the 360 was out, they had these things called Summer of Arcade and Summer of Indie where they really put a focus on the more sort of weirder, smaller titles. And that's something I've really missed this generation, that focus on stuff that's not AAA but still super interesting. And I felt like they could have given that a bigger slot on their whole presentation because they basically just rolled like a three-minute trailer that showcased about 12 different games then went by the way these games are all going to come to game pass immediately and i'm sitting there going oh at least like five or six of those games would have definitely been on my radar but now they all are because i can try them out for free and just that shift away from don matrick saying now you can watch nfl on your xbox you can watch sky on your xbox over to figuring out actually this is where we should be, the games, the games, the games. That was probably my highlight, the fact that they literally hit on that one point that I needed to see from them to feel like they can survive the next generation. But I would 100% agree with Rory that my 
low light of the event was how much of the proper gameplay was hidden behind closed doors and press releases. So with Cyberpunk, as an example, I was dying to see some proper gameplay, but they just showed one, what I think it was a 50-minute gameplay demo to a select number of press. The same thing with um, Project Scarlet. They unveiled this next-gen console, but all they said was, it's, it's ridiculously fast, it's so fast, it's so good, it's so fast. Check out this pre-rendered trailer of Halo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was there for the taking for Microsoft when Sony wasn't there. And it's interesting you mentioned about the games, but kind of the feeling I also got, is this a trend? Because I remember when you actually mentioned about the indie games as well, mm. how um, in the past they did have a emphasis on all these different types of games. But is the shift towards now more of a open to all different type of gaming platform? I get that kind of vibe where it was less more about the actual individual kind of games and more about um, everyone being able to play. And especially I got that kind of vibe with Xbox and that's something that they're trying to do, which was really interesting move from their individual focus on console, but rather playability. We're, we're, we're there for everyone kind of thing. I mean, that's the kind of vibe I got. Is that something that you, you, you felt or was it still, did you still feel it was, uh, no, we had a good amount of games as well and, um, kind of balanced it out well i i definitely agree in terms of that focus on everyone especially with first of all if we look at microsoft the fact that they announced um game pass ultimate which sort of expands them back to connect between the xbox and the pc the fact that xbox and sony are now working together on cloud gaming platforms the fact that we're seeing some of these walls break down you know there are a couple of games now that you can play cross platform and if you look at, um, like I was reading IGN's best of E3, and the best of, you know, Xbox, PS4, PC, it included so much crossover, but that was, to be fair, mainly because Cyberpunk just won everything. But mm -hmm. we're not seeing as big a focus on exclusives, which is something that I'm happy about personally, because I've always felt like exclusives are good for the singular company that sells them but not really good for the industry or the fans and i feel like this cross-platform play is really breaking down some boundaries where people are going to have a preference you know i love the xbox controller i want to stay with xbox but i'd love to be able to play, play with my brother-in-law who plays on playstation if i'm able to do that that means that neither one of us is going to think oh i'll need to jump ship and sort of compromise yeah well, I think it makes a lot more sense from, from their perspective as well. Uh, teaming up, uh, almost like becoming the Avengers uh, of, of the video game industry because they've got you know these big behemoths coming in. We've got Google coming in. We've got Amazon, well, sort of dipping its toe in the water. And of course, we've got Apple. You know, they're big, massive companies that have got a ton of cash lying around and they want to jump in. And so I think it's a really smart power move from, from Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo to all sort of buddy up together it's a really smart move instead of, of being in these tiny silos and saying no if you want to play zelda you have to stay on this console blah, blah blah that's a really outdated sort of antiquated idea of what games are we all want the, the user just wants to have everything they want all the content they, they don't care what, what platform it's on they just want the content and we've seen that with subscription services my only worry with that is that everybody wants to sell a subscription now 
And people have only got sort of the usual average is, is between five and, and seven maximum subscriptions that people want to have. The problem is we've got Microsoft offering them, we've got Sony, and now we've got individual game developers and publishers offering them, EA and Ubisoft. They all want to sell you the subscription. Everybody can't win. So, so that might be a little bit nasty, might be a bit uncomfortable, sort of a bumpy ride over the next couple of years. But I think at the end of it, we will hopefully have some clear winners that we can, we can jump on and get access to, to all the games we could ever hope and wish for, which is, which is a dream come true. I mean, touching on that whole subscription model, I mean, we already, I think they may be less learning the lessons from the whole TV side, considering how many different subscription channels are coming up now as well. So since Netflix kind of rose from, uh, from, uh, from just the discs to this massive subscription model, and then all the other big boys kind of carried on and said, yeah, hang on a second. But then also now all the studios said, you know what, well, we can do it as well. We've been producing all the content. We don't need them. And um, so they're a bit, they're ahead, obviously, but the gaming, I think the gaming industry are probably following in those same footsteps, but it will probably come to a point, a kind of like a crescendo where they're going to have to bundle up stuff. I think because you said that you hope that they learn from the mistakes that some of these sort of TV subscription models are making. I don't even think the TV subscription model has learned from its mistakes. I think you're still seeing so much new content, even with Ubisoft launching their own, you know, sort of cooperation with Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny um, with Mystic Quest. There are more and more players coming into that space. And I think um, with cloud gaming, it's going to be a similar thing where we'll see so many small players try and jump in, but... I'm really interested to see whether the fact that Microsoft and Sony are cooperating on cloud gaming and Sony are using some of Microsoft's tech for it, the fact that Nintendo Switch now has Xbox Live integrated into it, which I still don't quite know what they're going to do with in the long run, but it's interesting to see whether they'll, rather than trying to develop different, you know, maybe not equally good platforms, that they might be working together to create something that's for the player. Because that's really where, like Rory, you mentioned, they could win. They could win by not separating, but working together and being like, look, people are always going to want a Nintendo. Some people are always going to want a PlayStation. Just let them have what they want, but let's work together to make each one of those ecosystems the best it can possibly be. Yeah, but it's, it's a genuine threat. I mean, it, the majority of the world's web servers are run by Amazon now. They, they are the king of, of web services. They run the cloud. They, they have a monopoly on the, crowd, on the cloud. So it's a scary thing if you're Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo that this big company that owns the cloud is, is going to bring out, you know, uh, any kind of console, any kind of game theme. You know, the second largest holder of all the cloud services is, is Google. And then, you know, just behind them is, is Microsoft with their Azure network um, and their recent acquisition of, of uh, the Debian network. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a scary time. Um, and I think, yeah, people are making bets on cloud. I think we're not really going to see the benefits or the real sort of tangibility of cloud gaming for at least a couple of years. I still think we're a few years away from seeing proper video games on the cloud, not just for the fact that, you know, most people don't have the right internet connections. I mean, we're, we're hoping things will change a little bit with 5G, but, you know, who knows? It's still a misty area, but it's certainly a bet for the future. So Microsoft very much with their, their um, uh, conference this year made a big, big statement. We're looking at the future. We are the future, um, which, was, which was nice. And it, it makes sense. 
Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what Sony comes out with, what, what their angle is, how much, like you said, how much are they teaming up with, with Microsoft? I, I'm, I'm very excited to see what, what happens there. I think that's going to be interesting. So this game, game pass that they've released as well, and this cloud, the cloud gaming as well, haven't PlayStation already done something like that? Wasn't it, um, haven't they released, um, I can't remember what the PlayStation one's called because I'm not a PS player. Um, with all the classics, you can play all the classics. Yeah, uh, yeah. but there is, there, is, there is something that they've got that they can play online and probably the people are probably shouting on their screens and are saying, you idiot, you don't know this. Um, but yeah, PlayStation, I've got um, uh, a model where they've, they can already, cloud gaming is, is available for PlayStation on their PlayStation Plus network. Um, yeah. I'm guessing you guys are Xbox, completely dedicated Xbox guys. Well, no, I don't, I don't want to poo-poo too much on the PlayStation network, but their network is pretty awful. Um, <laughs> PlayStation's own equivalent of Xbox Live is, is pretty bad. It's pretty poor. Yeah. They just don't have the network for it. And it's never been particularly good. Um, but they, they have definitely made some serious improvements. And yeah, they've got you can access the whole back catalogue and you can you can download them. But it's it's very a lot of it is they've started doing some of that with, with Xbox. You can start playing games before they're fully downloaded. Um, so so you, you, it, it's using something called elastic load balancing, where they're using a little bit of um, the download, what you've downloaded already, and then streaming some of that content. Um, so we're already experiencing a little taste of it, a tiny taste of it, but I wouldn't want to play something like a fighting game or a racing yeah. game or anything that, that needs really low latency because it just wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be an enjoyable experience. Um, it, it would be painful. It is interesting though, because I feel like we've there crossed the streams a little bit because cloud gaming and the sort of back catalog access of PS Plus or Game Pass are to me quite different things. Because to me, the Game Pass is really interesting because Microsoft have come out and said, basically, any exclusive that we'll release will be free on there, or you know, free included. Um, mm. And to me, that's really interesting because if you look at some of the exclusives they've released over the past few years, they haven't really made it all the way. You've had, you know, Sea of Thieves, which was a massive letdown for a lot of people when it first came out, but they've actually invested in keeping it up. And now, you know, a year down the line, it's genuinely become the game that a lot of people hoped for. But I, for example, didn't buy it. But now that I have Game Pass, I thought, actually, I'll, I'll try it out and genuinely really enjoyed it. But then you've got you know games like Below, which I tried because it was on the Game Pass, didn't really sit right with me, took it away. And it's, it's sort of like they're investing more in their own IP whilst requiring less investment in their IP from their fans, which I think is a brilliant way to meet your fans halfway while they figure out this weird period that they've been through, through the sort of shift from Don Matrick over to Phil Spencer. It's, I, for me, that's a brilliant sort of way to serve your audience more than I've seen over the past few years with a lot of, you know, the loot boxes, the, you know, regular intervals games like Assassin's Creed, etc. There's been a lot of, I guess, the triple A panhandling there, whereas now I feel like it's more fan service happening slowly but surely. And it's nice to see something like that after just the horrendous microtransactions and yeah like you said like the loot crates and oh yeah awful awful which have just really completely just tarnished gaming quite a lot and it becomes sort of like this gambling element yeah. um it's nice to see a, um 
and move away from that and, and look at, at better value for the end user. That's really nice to see. It's, it's funny you actually touched upon that when I was watching the Avengers, or, um, this is another topic itself, but when I was watching the Avengers presentation, they actually, one, as one of their features and benefits, they have to say, there's no loot boxes <laughs> yeah. as, as a kind of a benefit in selling this game. Another interesting point, um, which I've been seeing, and it's this whole thing with the, with the bigger games, how they've, they're releasing a kind of, not a beta, almost a beta version, and then just releasing it out with a lot of problems and, and issues and bugs. And uh, I'm just reflecting back on how big Anthem was, and well, how big it hyped, but when it actually launched, it was pretty much bombed, I think. A lot of people found a lot of problems with it. It was like glitchy, and there were all sorts of issues. Does this you know, model of gaming, I mean, are we gonna see a kind of a bit of a change in it, or is this going to be the future now where it's almost just, just put it out there, let's just see what happens. But then doesn't that risk you not getting kind of that nice finished quality thing? Like, for example, let's take a good example, like Spider-Man. You know, that, that was a nice polished game from the beginning on Offset. When it went, and then they've got downloadable content. But now for these other games, especially these multiplayer games, they're just going, here you go. This is version one. It's going to cost you 60 bucks or whatever it is as well. Then you've got another version coming out. And then you've got a special edition coming out, etc. Well, I think it depends on the studio and the integrity of the studio. Because some studios, you know, they're under pressure. They just need to get it out as soon as possible. Whereas some studios have the luxury of taking as long as they want. Look at Rockstar. You know, nobody's yeah. going to push them. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. They'll, they'll bring it out when it's ready. Uh, and they've done that. It clearly, Microsoft's done that with, with their own 343 studios with Halo. They haven't brought it out because they could have brought out a new Halo every single year. And I'm the biggest Halo fan ever. You know, I'm craving a Halo game. But they haven't brought one out because they know... It needs time to be to be to be ready and to be perfect. But you'll always get those studios that just rush stuff out because they have the time to update it, uh, you know, later down the line. Yeah, for me, things like Anthem, and I think one of the biggest perpetrators of this actually is, and they've sort of been, I think, forgotten in the whole Anthem disappointment is Destiny. Oh yeah. When because when Destiny came out, um, Bungie was all like, "This is going to be the game you're going to be playing for a decade. It's going to last ten years." Two years later, after like three or four quite expensive expansion packs, they come out and say, "Actually, here's Destiny Two. Here's a season pass. People buy the whole collector's edition for like a hundred pounds." Then they say, "Hey, here's the second season pass. If you don't get this, you won't be able to play with your friends that have it." And it's an interesting model to me because I feel that this is something I expected to be sort of left behind in the era of World of Warcraft and that sort of thing because when World of Warcraft came out, there were so many games that tried that subscription model and just failed epically. And if you look at games like Guild Wars, when that came out, they went free to play pretty quickly. And I think the, the games that are trying to play the sort of game of Anthem and Destiny are stuck between two worlds because you've got games like Warframe, which is making a ton of money, but is free to play. You've got Fortnite, free to play, but people are spending so much money in that game. But I feel like the, the moment when it crosses a line for a lot of gamers is, like you said, when they've spent 60 pounds on a game and then 20, 30 pounds on a season pass, and the game is still saying, Either you grind for a hundred hours 
or you pay us five pounds now and you get this immediately. And it seems to me that this will be an era that will be looked back at as somewhat of an anomaly within the monetization of games outside of the, I guess, point of entry, because it is such an odd model that some of these gaming companies are exploring. Well, it makes sense for them, though, because I suppose it's, it's games as a service, you know, like software as a service, where it's something that they can continually improve over time. Because if you think back to, to games of, of old, you know, 20, 30, know, longer than that, maybe, maybe 35 years ago, when they would bring out a game and it was just a broken game, there was nothing you could do about it. It was just broken, you know. You, you try and get to the end of the level and you couldn't finish it because it was just broken. Um, so in some ways, it's good that they have that continually developing, continually evolving um, mechanic available to them but the problem is like you say so many of them now lean on that almost instantaneously yeah. and it's like a security blanket because on the one hand if you do it without that it's it's a big gamble to develop a game and hope people buy it and if they don't oops um, whereas if you do something as game as a service you've got that continual uh, continual reoccurring revenue stream uh, that m money keeps coming in so that's great but then i think too many of them especially bungie which i'm so sad to say because you know the creators of halo they really just milk the microtransactions um and it's it's so sad to see that especially with, with games annual games like call of duty where you know where do they find that balance um so you're, you're totally right where where, where are we going to see this in the next couple of years we'll look back and go yeah it was it was a mess and hopefully they have some new amazing system so that'll be interesting to see because I've noticed there's other games like, for example, your Fortnite, which are um, just more about the multiplayer aspect of it and with your mates and doing something rather than the actual story. There's no story to it. And, um, and you've got your story-driven games, but now they're trying to blend the two. But I don't know if I, 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 I very much doubt or I have little hope that Avengers are probably going to do it considering the look of it. And... Because, gosh, it just looked ugly. I don't know. I mean, did you just see those characters? Um, saying that, what going more to um, the purpose of this actual podcast is what kind of um, lessons do we see or can we take from the, the gaming industry is the biggest industry, I think, in entertainment. It's bigger than Hollywood. It's bigger than, and it makes gazillion amounts of money. And not many people realize that as well. So it, it is a big player. There's so much that businesses that can go and attach to it. And they are trying to attach to it to try and capitalize on this. But for the smaller businesses, for people out there, for the entrepreneurs who are just trying standing out, what can we pull from these kind of lessons? What lessons can we take from people like Sony just not appearing onto the stage or Xbox changing the way that they are? So I guess for me, the, uh, the top three, um, first of all, I want to actually touch upon, you mentioned Fortnite not having a storyline. I don't know how many people at this point realize it, but Fortnite started out as something completely different. It was supposed to be a story-driven game that four people would play together. It was called Fortnite because you were supposed to fortify during the day and fight during the night. And the whole battle royale aspect of it didn't really enter it until PUBG became a massive thing. And mm. they were charging money for the main game. And you can still buy that story-driven sort of tower defense-esque third-person action-adventure thing. But then they just released this Battle Royale thing. And I, I genuinely don't think they realized how big it was going to be. But that's a great business lesson to show. They had something that they could easily 
not pivot towards, but add onto their product for a, I don't, I don't want to say no effort at all, but a lower amount of effort than if they'd made a whole game from scratch. And they realized this, put some effort into it, and then they saw that that's where they were winning. And they weren't afraid to cut their losses and focus a little bit less on the original product when they realized this was capturing the imagination of people, not just their money, but, you know, the memes, the dances, the fact that, you know, sports icons were starting to wear like logos from this on their um, jerseys and on their shoes, etc. They really became a cultural phenomenon with something that seemed at the beginning as a slight dig at an indie game. And if they would have just st stuck with that original game, it probably would have been cool. You know, it's from Epic Games. They've done some great stuff in the past, but they wouldn't have had an island that premiered Weezer's new album. They wouldn't have had, you know, all this weird stuff where it sounds like some sort of satirical website wrote, <laughs> wrote those news. Um, so I guess that's the first lesson that I'd see someone taking from it. The second one is actually something that I notice every single E3 and it's the, the showmanship is so often missing from these companies. You'll get someone on stage wearing a suit comes on and says, I am so excited to show you the game that we have. It will change and revolutionize the industry. And it's just so clear that it's not a gamer on that stage. It's someone who's a PR person. It's someone who you know, knows what kind of money it's going to put in their wallet. They, it doesn't really come across as a passionate lover of the industry. But then if you look at someone like, okay, admittedly, someone who's been wrapped up in a bit of controversy lately, but Randy Pitchford from Gearbox. When they unveiled um, Borderlands 3 earlier in the year, he came on stage and had one of the worst nightmares of a lot of public speakers, which is the video for Borderlands 3 didn't play. He was stood up there about to showcase something amazing and nothing happened. And he stood on stage for about good 10, 15 minutes doing magic tricks. He kept people interested and entertained. He started doing like card tricks. He used to hold jokes. He didn't just stand there and go, please, someone, someone fix it. He, he, he's a character and people sort of buy into that. And I think some of these companies are missing that person on stage that captures people in his imagination, even though Peter Molyneux flat out lied to people who knew who he was. And the same thing with Randy Pitchford. He's in a lot of hot water over a number of different things, but people connect him to Gearbox. And I think it's just so important for companies to think, who am I putting out there to represent my brand? And is it a character that not only captures people's imaginations, but captures the essence of our brand? And that's something that I feel is way too often missing from these um, and something that, that Ubisoft did excel an excellent job with getting Rob from It's Always Sunny to talk about his show on their stage. But I think the third lesson, and I'll let someone else take over, is actually what we've been talking about for pretty much this whole thing, which is meeting people where they are, meeting your fans, your customers where they are, you know. Xbox thought they were doing that by opening themselves up to a wider range of people, but no one really cared that you could connect something to the Xbox and then to your TV. Most people have more than one HDMI port. They don't really care that they have to press a button on their remote to switch between. And I think Nintendo, as much flack as I sometimes give them, they are 
trying to meet some of their sort of um, demographic at the halfway point by getting games like, you know, a couple of years ago, they got Doom onto the platform, they got Skyrim, which you wouldn't have expected. And even though they are years and years late, if you look at Twitter now and look at what people are saying about Nintendo's E3 presentation, these people are so bought in. Like, I'm not a massive Nintendo fan, so I'll admit I watched the presentation and thought, really, are they hyping the fact that they're bringing Witcher four years late onto this platform? But you look at Twitter and Nintendo fans are going, whoa, we're getting the Witcher. And it's almost like they're bringing them to the same level as everyone else, rather than just saying, here's another Zelda, which they did, but they're, they're allowing their brand to be spread across a bigger demographic which is something that you didn't see with the Wii you didn't see with the Wii U as much they started it a little bit but now they've opened it up more to that third-party interaction allowing themselves to be stickier in that range and actually opening themselves up to some amazing indie games like um, being the sort of place where they'll debut the sequel to Hollow Knight as an example like an indie game darling that people that have played it absolutely know and love and one that I'm very disappointed isn't coming immediately to the Xbox because it's one of my favorite indie games this this uh, generation but they're investing in their fan base and I think that's a huge lesson to take from from E3. Fantastic Rory? Um, yeah I, I think I think yeah you hit the nail on the head there I, I, I think there's a few interesting takeaways. Um, Nintendo is a really funny one um, because no matter what anyone says, they always stick to, to, to truth, to who they are as a business and a brand. Um, and they don't really go with where uh, the generation or innovation is, is taking everybody else. They don't copy. They just do what Nintendo does. Um, I'm not a big Nintendo fan, but I totally appreciate and admire the way they stick to their guns. And even after you know terrible failings like the GameCube, they've shown they can come back with things like the Wii and just, just revolutionize how we see and play games. And they really know how to conquer a few different markets with Nintendo. So a lot of people look at Nintendo and say, yeah, it's just a kid's console. But it's really smart because they have the hardcore gamers in there that love the classics like Mario and Zelda, but they also have the, the, the um, captured the, the, the hearts and imaginations of the casual gamer, the casual people. Um, and they've locked that down and that's their thing. That's what they do. Um, if we look at Microsoft, they've made lots of different interesting uh, changes and innovations and innovations where they didn't need to make them. People were asking for more games, better games, but they were like, oh, but look, you can watch Sky News on your, on your Xbox. People didn't care for that. And so what they had to, to, to realize was we need to look at what our core product offering is. And I think that's a great business lesson for anyone is what's your core product uh, offering? Who are you uh, applying that, that product to? What's the messaging? Who's the audience? And do you, do you have a clear path to purchase there? Um, is there a need for that? Don't just create things when there is no need. And so we've seen that with Microsoft. They've just done a complete U-turn and, and, and you know, that's changed with management, obviously. But they're now much more focused on games. So it comes down to understanding who your audience is, understanding what your product is, and delivering a great service and a great product. Um, so I think there's some, some real interesting takeaways from, from uh, this E3. Uh, and you can see that by watching any of the keynotes. It's really sad still, like you said, John, that the, 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 the presenters just suck. It's yeah, so suck. sad. Um, I mean, even they had the Double Fine guy, I forget his name, because they just bought Double Fine Studios. Oh, yeah. uh, Tim... What's his name? What's his name? Tim something. 
Yes, but they had him on. He's he's a real gamer, so that that came across. He was fun, and he was excited. He wanted to show you, and it just brings a completely different um, energy to the stage and, and to the performance. And and it's it's interesting to see that with Microsoft. They did it a little bit with Keanu Reeves. They had him come on. You know, it was a big highlight. It was like, yeah, it's Keanu. Um, so so they're they're getting better. They're definitely getting better. Um, they're not in the territory of, of of Apple in terms of delivering just powerful boom. Uh, presentations, but but they're they're definitely getting better. So I thought I thought from this year there was there was a there was a ton of takeaways uh, for businesses to to look at their own businesses and apply, um, and you know just not innovate for innovate's sake. Find out what your product is, concentrate on that, and don't deviate away from it um, without real reason. So there there were my my thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm just going to touch upon the presentations considering that's one of the things that I love to talk about. But yeah, it's. You just watch it and it's so cringeworthy, some of them. But what's in, what kind of made me realize is that how the people in the background, the developers who aren't used to talking or aren't usually put, you know, comfortable with being put in the spotlight, how important presentations and being able to deliver a presentation is because it can make or break. Again, I was looking because I'm just, a, I was really excited about the Avengers. And then I just wanted to see their presentation. And I was like, it was so scripted and there were some moments where there you want he wanted to try and get the crowd to cheer but it just wasn't working <laughs> and it, it's nuts i mean and i think there are as you said there were a few good ones but just trying to get that change and transition is 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 is, is, is crazy but what and what i feel is that i think the gaming industry need to invest and the people and, and i think john some of the stuff that you're trying to do and go into and introduce there is pretty amazing and getting them to have kind of ambassadors. So like Xbox cheated, I think a bit by having Keanu. Um, um, but even then he was, I don't know if it was dictated. I don't know if it's the nature of the conference that they have to really be very strict on the agenda or, or, or what, but even he felt a little bit restricted in terms of having to go and read from a queue and uh, et cetera. But, um, yeah, very, very interesting. If you want to learn lessons of how not to present, watch some E3 <laughs> presentations definitely and see why they are not connecting with the audiences. Where's that impact? Where, where's the genuineness or where's the empathy or where's just even just being passionate about it? I mean, and, and uh, Microsoft, I mean, what do you call it? Apple are still uh, the leaders when it comes to those kind of conferences. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Ladies Assemble. What did you guys think? of e3 what was your favorite games what was your highlights what kind of business lessons did you learn from e3 and takeaways we know definitely that the presentations that you're going to be running better way not to do it so that's one thing you can definitely take away um but yeah let us know in the comments below subscribe click the bell because we're all on youtube now but we also got soundcloud and we've got a whole lot of podcast stuff going on and information is going to be there we've also got a linkedin group which i am going to be sending out and we've got loads of things coming along the way so appreciate your support spread the word if you like this or give us feedback if you don't you know tell us what we can do better what we can do more of we love this topic and we think we got something cool and we would love you to get involved so Thanks again for joining us for this special E3 edition. Join us next week where we're going to be doing some other cool stuff, um, more geek and nerdy stuff, and join the beardies then. Thanks a lot. Take care. Until next time, goodbye.